With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> Recorded live. Well, thank you, Dave Nelson, for announcing us again this morning for the 364th time. Uh, sorry we missed last week. I was in a lot worse shape than I am today. Today's show may be cut short, depending on how bad my coughing spell will start. I'm looking forward to seeing the doctor again tomorrow, and maybe we can uh, solve this little problem that's affected me in the last 10 days. So, I see we have uh, a G-man up in Canada, Lori Polina in St. Louis, Roy Morris in Amarillo, Texas, guests two and three. If you'd like to put in the chat room who you are, where you're from, how you found us, we always like to give our people recognition, and if you'd like to share your thoughts, please type them in the chat room, and we will share them with our audience. We've been here for several weeks discussing the hidden book, Outwitting the Devil, written by Napoleon Hill in 1938. He wrote this book a year after he wrote Think and Grow Rich. Uh, the book was never published. It was kept in a manuscript form uh, through the rest of Napoleon Hill's life. He died in 1970, and his wife Annie Lou would refuse to have the book published because she felt it possibly, being as controversial as it was, could besmirch his good name. And when she passed away in 1984, the manuscript passed on to a relative who was at that time uh, involved in the management of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, and they felt the same way. Uh, thank goodness for us, in 1911, I mean 1911, 2011, the Napoleon Hill Foundation, actually about 2009, the Napoleon Hill Foundation uh, talked to Sharon Lecter, read the manuscript, and she did some final editing, and the book was published in 2011. It has a very interesting following. Uh, it is very controversial, uh, and it is so timely today. Some of the things that we're going to discuss today will blow your head off. <laughs> Guest 3 says, what are the main differences between Think and Grow Rich, how to win friends and influence people? Well, actually, how to win friends and influence people, in my estimation, is a book that is talking about how to become more social. Uh, it is my opinion, since I read it in 1916, it became a foundation of my life. It uh, set my life goals in 1960. Think and Grow Rich is actually a manual on how to succeed at whatever it is you, as an individual, decide you want to succeed in and allow you to grow rich in as many different areas as you want. Um, Actually, if you go back a few years before, 1934, Napoleon Hill wrote a very thick book called The Law of Success, uh, very in-depth, much more conclusive than the book Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich was written at the request of, uh, at that time, the president, Mr. Roosevelt. Uh, Mr. Hill reluctantly came on Mr. Roosevelt's committee to rebuild America, 
because as you know, America was in the same condition then as it is today, uh, led by the same type of individual. Napoleon Hill was a little bit, uh, uh, it wasn't very comfortable there, but he felt he was doing his duty to God and his country, whatever it might be. And uh, he wrote Think and Grow Rich, which is actually an excerpt, an excerpted version and written for, you know, to, to be read and digested more quickly than the huge book Law of Success. And that's where Think and Grow Rich, which interestingly enough is the second most read self-improvement book in the world. It has been translated into almost every language uh, imaginable. And the only book, uh, the book that surpasses its reading is the Bible. And, uh, but anyway, we're here to discuss Outwitting the Devil. Thank you very much for your question. Uh, hi, guys. Do you know a good book on creativity? Uh, well, I, I don't have one right now, but maybe our, our, uh, our friends uh, on the computer can, can do some research and, and think it out. Because I have a hard time walking and chewing gum, so it's hard for me to research, talk, and then type at the same time. Gerara King, brilliant young author, is with us. Thank you very much, Gerara. And uh, what I'm going to do is do a quick, uh, quick review of some things because of the timeliness of our circumstances today. Southwest Ontario is on the call. Good morning. If you'd like to, there you are. Southwest Ontario, is that you, Diane? Southwest Ontario. Oh, it's uh, me, Chuck. It's Gino. Oh, Gino, fantastic. I'm glad that you could make it online. Great. I, uh, I haven't heard your voice in such a long time. Yeah, I couldn't get on the computer, so I figured I'd call. Okay, thank you very much. Up to this point, Napoleon Hill has been interviewing the devil. And Napoleon Hill has been asking the devil, point blank, how it is that he has controlled the world. And if you, those of you that don't have a copy of the book, by the way, there's plenty available, new or used, at bestbusinessmindset.com slash devil. That's bestbusinessmindset.com slash devil. Ten, thirteen dollars a great hard copy book. Um, I'm just going to recapture here on page 106. Uh, uh, Napoleon Hill asks the devil, if I understand you correctly, you claim that there is virtue in failure. Uh, that does not seem reasonable. Why do you try to induce people to fail if there is virtue in failure? There is no consistency in my inconsistency in my claims. The appearance of inconsistency is due to your lack of understanding. Failure is a virtue only when it does not lead one to quit trying and begin drifting. I induce as many people as I can to fail as often as possible for the reason that not one out of 10,000 will keep on trying after failing two or three times. I am not concerned about the few who convert failures into stepping stones because they belong to my opposition anyway. They belong to my opposition anyway. They are the non-drifters, and therefore they are beyond my reach. An example would be Edison, who converted failures into stepping stones. Hmm. And others use them as alibis for not producing results. I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm too poor, I can't speak well, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. That mankind can constantly blame somebody else for their shortcomings, which in most cases they don't have shortcomings. 
Chuck. We're all born equal. I gotta go, Chuck. Okay, thank you very much, Roy. Glad you could stop. Yeah, on. I got a breaker problem or something. All right. Okay. The devil goes on to say, <coughs> excuse me, that one of his most effective tricks. <coughs> <coughs> is known as propaganda. This is the instrument of greatest value to me in setting people to murdering one another under the guise of war. I mix propaganda with the news of the world. I have it taught in public and private schools. I see that it finds its way into the pulpit. I color moving pictures with it. I see that it enters every home where there is a radio. I inject it into billboard, newspaper, and radio advertising. I spread it in every place of business where people work. I use it to fill the divorce courts. And I make it to serve an industry to destroy business and industry. To destroy business and industry. Is any of this familiar in today's situation? This was written in 1938. It is my chief instrument for starting runs on banks. My propagandists cover the world so thoroughly that I can start epidemics of disease, turn loose the dogs of war, or throw business into panic at will. Propaganda is any device or method by which people can be influenced without knowing that they are being influenced or the source of influence. And you know how we do this? This is my aside. We do it by dumbing down the educational system, which we've done a great job in this country over the past 40, 50, 60 years. We no longer have uh, blue book tests. We no longer ask people to write essays. We ask people to regurgitate PAP infused into the young, empty minds by those who have been trained by the same kind of people, propagandists. Where in the world are we taught to think for ourselves? And that's what this is all about. And that's what this conversation with the devil will continue to work towards. Uh, Laurie found a book, Creativity and Its Cultivation, by Harold Edison, Anderson, New York, Harper Road, 1959. Thank you very much, Guest 3. I, I, do, I do a little bit of that. I have produced a few audiobooks myself, which are available. Drop me an email, chuckbartok at gmail.com, and I'll share them with you. Um, okay. The, uh, this one passage I did record, by the way, Guest 3. It's out there on soundcloud.com, soundcloud.com. I excerpted this and recorded it several weeks ago, and it's had quite a few listens to. I suppose some of your boys, this is Napoleon Hill in 1938. I suppose now some of your boys are engaged in preparing the minds of the American people to drift into some form of dictatorship. Tell me how they work. Yes, Millions of my boys are preparing Americans to become Hitlerized. My best boys are working through politics and labor organizations. We intend to take over the country with, with ballots instead of bullets. Americans are so sensitive they would never stand the shock of seeing their form of government changed with the aid of machine guns and tank cars. So our propaganda boys are serving them a diet they will swallow. 
by striving, stirring up strife between employers and employees, rich and poor, turning government against business and industry. When propaganda has done its work thoroughly, one of my boys will move in as, as dictator, and the nine old men on your Supreme Court with their silly notions of the Constitution will move out. In 1938, Napoleon Hill says that a person will be put into the, into the position of governance in this country and destroy the Constitution. Everyone will be given a job or fed from the government treasury. When men's bellies are filled, they drift freely with one who does the filling. Hungry men get out from under control. In 1938, one of the devil's tools was Hitlerizing America. If Napoleon Hill were alive today, who would he be interviewing? The devil might well gloat over the so-called entitlement programs now in place or proposed and would crow over government's increasing involvement in independent business, such as the automotive and financial industries. And and uh, Mr. Obama saying that we didn't build a small business. No, no, the, no, 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 the village did that. The village did that. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of curious. I I saw an interview on television the other day. A family was honored up in Montana, and the family has been there for I think five generations, which in my math mathematics goes back a while. And the original person, of course, you know, started out with the land for 40 acres, and they built and they grew. And, and, and these people are in a non-subsidized agricultural industry. And I'm just wondering who built that ranch. I'm just wondering who was there to take care of the years that their cattle froze. I, I just amazed me, you know, that I, I saw this interview. His family was honored uh, for for their contribution to the state, uh, you know, the, to the industry. Uh, did they build it themselves? I don't know. Now, here's the interesting thing. No man is an island. Whatever I do, I can't do by myself. I need the lorries. I need the help from Roy, the help from Gerara and Gino, the support, the sharing and the caring. I've never met a successful business person in my life who ever claimed they did it by themselves. They surrounded themselves with a mastermind. They surrounded themselves with people who care, who share the same feelings, belief, and values, even though they may not be in the same industry. And they work together collectively, bad word, collectively, no, it's a good word, for a common goal. And that common goal is self-reliance, providing benefits for others in the form of employment, and producing products that are of value to the public. <clears throat> Guest number two says, sadly to me, there seems to be much indifference about this year's election. Many have given up. Perhaps in 10 or 20 years, revolution will come again. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Guest two. That's a good point. Um, going through pages 113, 14, and 15, uh, the devil also talks about how he bribes people. He bribes people through love, the thirst for sex expression, 
covetousness for money, the obsessive desire to gain something for nothing, gambling, vanity in women, egotism in men, desire to be the master of others, desire for intoxicants and narcotics, desire for self-expression through words and deeds, desire to imitate others, desire for the perpetuation of life and death, life after death, desire to be a hero. And, and he, these are the bribes, the things that the devil tempts us with. Um, again, I'm going to refer people back to this because we want to move forward into the next chapter, chapter 6, called Hypnotic Rhythm. This is page 120 for those of you that have your text. What is this mysterious law through which you take permanent control of people's bodies even before you take over their souls? The whole world will want to know more about this law and how it operates. And the devil responded, It will be hard to describe the law so you will understand it, but you may call it hypnotic rhythm. It is the same law through which people are hypnotized. Hill says, So you have the power to use the laws of nature as a web in which you can bind your victims in eternal control? Is that your claim? It is not only my claim, it is the truth. I take over their minds and bodies, even before they die, whenever I can lure them or frighten them into the hypnotic rhythm. What is this hypnotic rhythm? How do you use it to gain permanent mastery over human beings? I will have to go back into time and space and give you a brief elementary description of how nature uses hypnotic rhythm. You, of course, know that nature maintains a perfect balance between all the elements and all the energy of the universe. And, and I, I honestly believe, with you know, I'm a scientist, I honestly believe that's absolutely true. Anybody on the call today have any uh, interjection there? Nature maintains a perfect balance between all the elements and all the energy of the universe. Gino, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree, 100%. Uh, okay. Nature always seems to balance herself one way or another. And she's a bit more powerful than mankind, isn't she? Yes. We can build all the levees we want. <laughs> you can see that the stars and the planets move with perfect precision, each one keeping its own place in time and space. You can see that the seasons of the year come and go. You can see that an oak tree grows from an acorn and a pine tree grows from a seed of its ancestor. An acorn never produces a pine, and a pine seed never produces an oak. These are the simple things which anyone can understand. You earthbound caught a fragmentary glimpse of this great universal law when Newton discovered that it holds your earth in its position. But he did not go far enough into his study of the law. If he had, he would have discovered that the same law which holds your earth in position and helps nature to maintain a perfect balance over the four dimensions in which all manner and energy are contained is the web in which I entangle and control the minds of human beings. Tell me more, Napoleon Hill said. As I have already stated, there is a universal form of energy with which nature keeps a perfect balance between all matter and energy. She makes specialized use of this universal building material by breaking it up into different wavelengths. Uh, 
And this is where we get into the wavelengths of the mind. Those of you that are familiar with Think and Grow Rich, we talk about vibrations. Those of you who have read and studied The Master Key by Charles Hanel, who was Napoleon Hill's mentor in the 19-teens, the vibratory effect of our thoughts. Thoughts are things. Any impulsive thought that the mind repeats over and over through habit forms an organized rhythm. Undesirable habits can be broken, the devil says, and they must be broken before they assume the proportions of rhythm. Are you following me? Well, to continue, rhythm is the last stage of habit. Any thought or physical movement, which is repeated over and over through the principle of habit, finally reaches the proportion of rhythm. I, I, an example in my own life right now, those of you know that about hundred and uh, almost 120 days ago, I chose to no longer be obese. I chose to no longer be obese. That's a definite decision. Decaidir, from the Latin, to cut off, to cease. I decided to no longer be obese. I then had to draw up a plan as to how I would affect that change from obesity to fitness. Okay, And what I had to do is change a lot of habits. I had to change my rhythm. I had to end up with a different rhythm. And it's interesting today, this is not in any uh, bragging sense whatsoever, it's a sense of pride, personal pride, that I automatically do things today that I did not do uh, uh, four months ago. I, I ride my bicycle automatically at a certain, just I just get up and go. I don't sit on my fat arse all day. I get up and move away from the computer. I'm walking. I do other things. My eating habits have changed tremendously because of the food plan, not a diet. I do not believe in diets because of the food plan that I wrote down on paper. And I decided May 2nd to no longer be obese. Where am I today? I am slightly below the obese level, according to all of the charts. I'm still overweight, and I do not expect to be overweight in the next 90 days. And at the same time, I've changed my physical structure. Now, this happened because I changed habits. And now, those habits have got to the point, as the devil is saying, they've reached a proportion of rhythm. It's become part of my subconscious mind. It's who I am. The same thing applies to the formation of a business. The same thing applies to a battle plan. When Gerard King in Washington wants to write a book, he just doesn't sit down and start writing a book. He has a plan of action. And he has subconsciously trained himself over a period of time to be able to focus on the writing of that book. Did it come easy? No. Was he an extreme success in the beginning? No. He only has five books published, two of which are required reading in many philosophy departments at major universities around the United States, and here's a young man in his 30s. Is he special? Yes, he's special because he took care of himself. Can anybody do what Gerard did? Yes. You may not write the same kind of books, but, but what I'm trying to say is that all of this is available to us all. Okay, the devil goes on, then the habit cannot be broken because nature takes over and makes it permanent. 
It is something like a whirlpool in water. Any object may keep floating indefinitely unless it is caught in a whirlpool. Then it is carried around and around, but it cannot escape. The energy with which people think may be compared with water in a river. And again, the devil used the word think. So this is the way in which you take control of the minds of people. Yes, all I have to do is gain control over any mind is to induce the, its owner to drift. Am I to understand that the habit of drifting is the major danger through which people lose their pre, prerogative of, or privilege of thinking their own thoughts and shaping their own earthly de definitions? That and much more. Drifting is also the habit through which I take over their souls after they give up their physical bodies. Then the only way a human being can be saved from eternal annihilation is by maintaining control over his mind while he is on this earth. Is that true? And Gino, what do you think the answer is? Gino might have moved away from the phone. Hi, Chuck? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I was muted. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah. What was the question? Well, the question is, uh, Napoleon Hill, I'll let you answer it. Uh, then the only way a human being can be saved from eternal annihilation is by maintaining control over his own mind while he is on earth. Is that true? Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't control his own mind, the media yeah. will control his mind. Or and Gino, what, what's your analysis? I mean, you know, we've chatted over the past five, six years. Yep. L looking, you're up in Canada, we're here in the States. Looking at our fellow citizens, looking at the conditions, uh, let's just keep them at home. We don't have to talk about the global situation. Are we seeing a resurgence of thinking people, or are thinking people rapidly becoming extinct? I think they're becoming extinct. There, uh, well, it depends. Um, I see some people who are taking control, but the majority of them are just followers, mm -hmm. following uh, the crowd wherever they take them. Because it is an easier way to go. It is. Because, uh, and, and as long as I feed you, you know, you're going to kind of like me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then yeah. That, in that case, I'll follow you wherever you take me. And, uh, when a person takes control of their mind, they can have their life the way they want it, except having, instead of having someone else uh, tell them what to do. Kind of share with our audience. I know uh, not too many, a month or so ago, you won a prestigious award. You won a race. Yes. You're not a professional racer, are you? No, by far. No, I just. What I, prompted you? What was the most? Tell us a little story, if you can, for a few minutes. How did Gino become a champion in what was it, bicycle and running? Yeah, it was consists of. It's called a doo doo, where you, it consists of running, biking, and running. Okay. And uh, there was people from all ages, from 19 to 58. Just of running for one kilometer, bike riding for ten kilometers, and running for two kilometers. Okay. Uh, I decided about four or five months ago to get back into shape because I thought, you know, I could use uh, uh, lose some weight and to get back to uh, fitness. Anyways, I decided to uh, to enter this race, and I practiced there uh, about three, four, five times a night, biking and running. Mm -hmm. And then I, I had uh, a vision in my mind that I would finish the race and finish in first place. Wow. And uh, I did. Uh, within 40 minutes, I did uh, the circuit, and I won, and uh, it was just very exciting. And uh, I know, I just it was a decision that I made, and uh, I followed through. 
You made a decision. Yes. And you realized you also, in order to to see that decision come to fruition, you had to change some habits. Is that correct? Of course, of course. I had to get up early in the morning and uh, run and stretch and do my exercises. It, just, it didn't come overnight. Of course not. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, it takes time. And you weren't influenced by the neighbors who said, Gino, you're too fat. you got to change. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Uh, right. I, heard, I heard plenty of that, too. Yeah. But you know what? Isn't it funny we hear that? But, we, you know, I was never obese, you see. When I looked at the mirror, I just said I've gained some weight. But when I stared at that chart and I read my doctor's report and she used that word, it suddenly hit me that, yes, I'm a member of the obesity clan. And that didn't settle well with me. No, no. Because we can make a thousand excuses. You know why I was is because we moved off the ranch. We sold the ranch. We were no longer involved in farming and had the horses. And I had this great place to live, and there's really not much for me to do, so therefore what I did was change my eating habits, sat around, and got fat. Mm. And it's all, it's all moving here. Is, is the, you know, that's, that's whose fault it is. <laughs> you know, we need to take control of our own lives and, uh, you know, and uh, set goals and then have a plan and take action. Mm-hmm. It's that simple, but the majority of people rather sit on front of the TV, watch somebody else get in shape, except themselves. So, I mean, life's too short. You, know. you bet. You've got to enjoy while you're here. Well, you know, that's kind of the way I felt about it. I, I look, I play poker with a bunch of 80-year-olds, and I'm only 70, and I say, you know what, I want to spend be here another 10, 15 years. Sure. And I wasn't going to get there the way I was going. So the devil says in this book, those who control and use their own minds escape my web. Is that all there is to the business of being saved from internal annihilation? Does does what you call your opposition have anything to do with saving people? The devil says, I can see that you do think very deeply. My opposition, the power you earthbound called God, has everything to do with the salvation of people from eternal annihilation. And for that reason, it is my opposition who provides every human being the privilege of using his own mind. This is everyone's God-given gift when we're born, the ability to use our own mind, the free will. The devil's opposition, God gave this to us. If you use that power by maintaining control over your mind, you become a part of it when you give up your physical body. If you neglect to use it, then I have the privilege of taking advantage of the neglect through the law of hypnotic rhythm. What do you do with people whom you control before death? I use them, or whatever is left of them them after I take charge, as propagandists, to help me prepare the minds of others to drift. You not only fool people into destroying their power to control their own minds, but you use them to help you trap others. Yes, I let no opportunity get away from me. Isn't, hey, guys, have you ever heard anybody else say, don't ever let an opportunity, I mean, a crisis uh, get away? <laughs> hey, interesting, you know, this is 1938. Some of these words are said today. We find, uh, or I find, too many times we try, we try to avoid crisis we try to avoid pain at all costs mm-hmm. instead of instead of trying to um use it 
for the purpose it was meant for, which um, we had a, a special weekend conference at church the other day, and the the um, speaker said, God doesn't put you in trouble. Uh, he, he was saying God doesn't use trouble to give you an escape hatch. He uses it to grow you. <laughs> right. Yeah, little, little challenges are, are kind of fun. <laughs> we We do, and we're all beset with challenges. We know that. Right now, I'm fighting the desire to cough. <laughs> yeah. I, always, I also see that life would be very boring if we didn't have any problems or challenges, wouldn't it? Well, that's right. And how could we grow? Yeah. We couldn't grow if we don't have problems or challenges. Yeah, if, uh, you know, the easy way, this this goes back to, I, most of you know I spend a lot of time consulting with business people who want to grow their businesses to the next level. And... Almost everybody can write down on a piece of paper what's wrong with circumstances today and what challenges we do have. They're there. We can't, I mean, they're absolute, you know. Uh, people aren't coming through your door because those people aren't working because they don't have money. I mean, that's a fact. What can you do to maintain your business? Then you sit down and reflect inside and you start writing down the positive sides of your business. And focus on the positive sides of your business more so than focusing on the negative sides of your business. You may have inventory items that do fit today's market because of diminished income. Why not focus your inventory to that market? These are just, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not making this up. That was actually a conversation. But if you're carrying $99 items on your shelf... And the market is really hot for $49 items. It might be to your benefit to not necessarily change the flavor of your store, not change your management practice, not, not change your personality, but maybe offer a few more items in the price range for which your market is, is there for. Now, on the high-end businesses, um, those people are not suffering. Uh, you know, the the high-end business has not suffered through this, quote, economic downsize because people with an amount of money that can afford to purchase the high, high-end items are going to have that money regardless of the financial conditions. That's what a lot of us don't understand. And I'm not saying this to be a, a, a class situation. So... Some businesses are going to thrive regardless, but I'm talking the kind of people that I work with are just people like everybody on this call, and we all want to stay in business if we are in business. And there's ways to do it regardless of the climate. Again, it has a lot to do with our attitude and the amount of time and energy we're willing to put into planning and execution of systems that work. Let us come back to the subject of hypnotic rhythm. Tell me more how this law works. Show me how you use individuals to help gain control. Oh, that's easy, the devil says. The thing I like best is to fill the minds of people with fear. Once I fill one's mind with fear, I have little trouble causing him to drift until I have entangled him in the web of hypnotic rhythm. We're going to throw Granny off the cliff. Let's put that fear into people's minds. And what human fear serves your purposes best? Anybody want to guess what human fear 
serves the devil's purpose the best? Poverty. The fear of death. Death, yeah. Why is the fear of death your favorite weapon? Because no one knows, and by the very nature of the laws of the universe, no one can prove definitely what happens after death. It is this uncertainty that frightens people out of their wits. People who give over their minds to fear, any sort of fear, neglect to use their minds and begin to drift. Eventually, they drift into the whirlpool of hypnotic rhythm from which they may never escape. Then you do not mind what religious leaders think or say of you when, when they speak of death? Not as long as they say something. If the churches should stop talking about me, my cause, my cause would receive a severe setback. Every attack made against me fixes the fear of me in the minds of all who are influenced by it. You see, opposition is the thing that keeps some people from drifting. Since you claim the church's help instead of hindering your cause, tell me what would you what would give your cause to worry? My only worry, the devil said, is that someday a real thinker may appear on earth. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? This is Napoleon Hill writing in 1938. After Napoleon Hill as an individual suffered a huge, huge life, life setback, put him into a state of fear. He packed a gun, would only walk outside at night for fear of his own life. There was a hit on him, Napoleon Hill's life. And it was from that experience that he turned things around, which we read about in the first part of this book, that started his life all over again in the late 1920s. And it was this experience that Napoleon Hill sat down and had an interview with the devil. Whether the interview was real or not, I'll leave to your own uh, thought process. It's really irrelevant. The point is, the man is exchanging ideas between himself and the devil, whoever that may be. What would happen if a thinker did appear? You would ask me what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. People would learn the greatest of all truths. That the time they spend in fearing something would, if reversed, give them all they want in the material world and save them from me after death. Isn't that worth thinking about? I'm going to repeat that paragraph because it is very powerful. In its little simplistic, simplistic statements like this that I think our society, globally and especially here on the Western Hemisphere, is forgetting. You ask me what would happen if a thinker did appear. The devil says, I will tell you what would happen. People would learn the greatest of all truths that the time they spend in fearing something would, if reversed, give them all they want in the material world and save them from me after death. Any conversation about that? Makes one think that we need to get off our fanny and, and um, stop worrying about fear and take and action. What is fear? Uh, false evidence. events? No, false evidence. False evidence. Appearing real. Let me ask you, I, I know several of the people who are on the call today have a personal faith 
it's irrelevant what your faith is. It's a relevant sect, denomination, whatever it might be. But it is... Do, do those of you on the call, does anyone here fear death? I don't. Thank you, Gino. I don't. Because... Um. If, isn't it true, Laurie, that if, if we take most of the major denominations, most of the major religions, it is death which puts us in the best of possible positions? In in Scripture, we're, we're taught um, that to die is, I mean, while while we do have our purposes that God intended for us here on earth, um, in the end, to die as long as we've put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, um, that to die is gain. We we go from this world and this life um, right into the right into the arms of of Jesus. So. And I think the most interesting thing is, since nobody can prove that to be true, we need to live a life of faith and belief, and we. Uh, we don't believe it because we see it. We see it because we believe it. I've always liked that little twist on words there. We see it because we believe it. And even Scripture says, if you have to, if you say, I I have to, you know, if you're that skeptic that says, uh, yeah, right, I'll, I'll, believe it when I see it. Well, you have to see it. <laughs> you have to see it before you're going to believe That's it. right. That's right. I'm going to finish up here with one question that Napoleon Hill has. What is keeping such a thinker from appearing in the world? The devil says, fear of criticism. If Lori suddenly woke up one day and decided she had a wonderful idea to create a new business, and she bounces out of bed and she runs up and down the street proclaiming her great idea, and everybody says, you're nuts. That's been done before. And all the other countless statements that could be made, there's a good chance that we have taken that person who did not exhibit fear because she ran down the street yelling and screaming, we put fear into her that she might not make it. And uh, that's what happens to so many people so many times. Personally, I never gave a tinker's dam or a squat when anybody ever thought about what I did. And I made some big boo-boos. Fear of criticism. But those big boo-boos were all a part of learning what does work. That's right. Napoleon Hill asked one more question. And if I did surprise you and publish it, how long would it be until you lost your kingdom? Just long enough for one generation of children to grow into understanding how to think. You cannot take the adults from me. I own them. But if you publish this confession, it would be sufficient to keep me from gaining control of the yet unborn and those who have not yet, yet reached the age of reason, you wouldn't dare publish what I told you about the religious leaders. They would crucify you. And, and remember, this book was 
not allowed to be published. Because if you read this book thoroughly, and we have just scratching the surface, it is extremely controversial on a religious viewpoint. And those people that were considered the leaders in our society at that time, this is a controversial book. It's almost, uh, uh, what's the word, a, uh, you know, it's it, a revolutionary book. As uh, Guest 2 says, 10, 20 years, revolution will come again. This book was published. Those of you that don't have a copy, get a copy. You know, I gave you my Amazon link, bestbusinessmindset.com slash devil. If you do happen to purchase one, I might earn 38 cents. I think one of them was 42 cents. It's irrelevant. You can find the book in bookshelves. You can find it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It's a, a, a very, very interesting read and one that you just don't read like a novel. You read over and over again because there's some strong impact. Hey, Chuck? Yes, sir. Gino, I was just uh, curious about the title. Do you know if uh, Napoleon Hill came up with that title? Or yes. Yes, and in the, in the front of the book... Um, in the front of the book, there's, a, there's a, a photocopy of the original manuscript. And the words typed at the top is, Outwitting the Devil, The Secret of How the Author Attained Physical and Financial Freedom. The boldest and most inspiring of the self-help books by America's number one success philosopher, who after 30 years of... Uh, this is Napoleon, you know, he's writing his own preface. You see what I mean? Found the Devil and run from him an astounding confession disclosing where he lives, why he exists, and how he gains control over the minds of people, and how anyone, and this is underlined by Napoleon Hill, because this is just a typewritten manuscript, how anyone can outwit him. The book is a generous course in psychology, making the clear working principles of the human mind. When you finish the story of the devil, you will know much more about God. By Napoleon Hill, author, and he scratched that off. He scratched off success. It's interesting, he scratched off the law of success because I don't know how many of you ever read that book. It's, I don't know, it's almost as big as the kind of books that Gerara writes, you know, mm-hmm. eight, nine hundred pages. And he says, author of Think and Grow Rich, and then in his handwriting, he wrote Master Key to Riches. And that I found very interesting also because remember that Napoleon Hill credited his reading of The Master Key by Charles Hanel. He credited Chapter 4, that which the exercise that Charles Hanel put in Chapter 4, Week 4 of The Master Key. In 1919, Napoleon Hill secured a $105,000 a year contract and directly credited that chapter of the Master Key in his ability to get that contract because of the way it set his mind, the way it forced him to think in a different direction. So Charles Hanel was actually a a mentor to Napoleon Hill. And Napoleon Hill then wrote a book, Master Key to Riches. So, I mean, the ties are historically quite interesting. It's interesting also to read the actual autobiographies or the biographies of these people. Napoleon Hill did suffer some huge setbacks in his life. He also had some huge successes. And uh, in some of his uh, personal readings, if you read them, you'll find out why he did. Well, that this book tells you why he was at the bottom of his life. He was frightened for his own life. And, and Chuck, can you repeat that again? Why did he scratch out the author of Law of Success? Well, he is the, I, I think because 
I, I don't know why he scratched it off. It's scratched off in this photocopy. Yeah. I would assume that he wanted more people to focus on Think and Grow Rich and the master key to riches. Because The Law of Success is a tough book. Yeah. I mean, I've got my copy here in front of me, and, oh, Lordy. Uh, how many pages do I have here? Uh, well, 600-plus pages. You know, and uh, it's not... It, today's mark, well, even back in 19... In the 1930s, you know, people think and grow rich is a quick book. Thirteen chapters, you know, it's not a thick tome. So, even though some people say it's, it's kind of thick itself. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. How many people do you know have you met that have claimed that they read Think and Grow Rich? I think everybody says, "Oh yeah, I read that book." They've heard about it. <clears throat> and when you ask them a simple question or two, well, well how did the six steps of success set with you? Or what of the which of the six steps to success did you apply? And they look at you dumbfounded. Six steps? What six steps? Yeah, what six steps? <laughs> exactly. People people don't read today like they should. I I like to take these books and like read a few paragraphs to to a few pages and stop and chew on that mm-hmm. and then come back and read the next you know, few paragraphs or pages, whatever and it's almost like it's almost like savoring a dark chocolate candy bar or something. Where right. it, where it just melts in your mouth. <laughs> you don't chew it, you just you just let it sit there and it just it just melts. You know, that reminds me, we did, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Sam Kemp. <coughs> you with us, Chuck? Yeah, yeah I'm here. Yeah. Um, Sam Camerano uh, and I uh, produced a workbook, 35-page workbook, several years ago called the Think and Grow Rich Workbook. Uh, we sold a lot of copies, hard copy for 19.95. We do have it in a PDF form for $4.95. $4.95 will deliver you a nice 35-page workbook. And this is how I read. It was the way I was taught to read, and I'm sure Lori and Gino and many of the other people on our call. I usually have either an 8.5 by 11 notebook next to me when I read a book, and I take notes. I don't like to write in the liner of the book because books are important to me. One nice thing about PDFs is you can print them over and over again and write on them. But if anybody would like a copy for $4.95, you can see that we get very rich selling these, um, drop me an email at chuckbartok at gmail.com, and I'll send you a simple order link. Uh, It's $4.95, and it'll deliver itself right back to you. The reason I don't have the link to order is because I forgot it. But I, I do have it hidden somewhere. <coughs> and uh, if you just drop me an email, we'll get you the Think and <coughs> Grow Witch Workbook. We may do one for uh, Outwitting the Devil someday also. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Uh, we've got Lori, uh, Roy Morris, Gino up in Canada, Gerard King, guests two and three. Thank you very much for being with us. Hope you'll tell your friends about the show. We'll be back next week talking a little bit more with the devil and how we can outwit the devil, and how we as individuals born in the image and likeness of greatness can do just about anything we want to do if you put your bloody mind to it, and not afraid to apply massive action. 
following the handwritten on paper plan of action that you designed or designed with the help of friends, your own mastermind. What are the six steps of success? You can find them in Think and Grow Rich, very simply outlined. If anybody would like a free audio, can grow rich. Uh, that's available at uh, thinktogrowrich.info. Think to the number two growrich.info. This is Chuck Bartok from the banks of the Sacramento River saying goodbye and thank you very much for joining us. We will be back next week. Thank you guys. Bye bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.